DiscerningHearts.com presents Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher. This podcast is an audio taken from a Discerning Hearts retreat conducted by Father Timothy Gallagher, which features the lives of St. Therese of Lisieux, Saints Louis and Zelle Martin, Servant of God Leone Martin, and the entire Martin family. The video taken at this retreat can be found in this episode post on discerninghearts.com, or you can find it on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. We now begin Conference One. Let's start with the, uh, the prayer, the page that's inserted into the booklet that you have, and let's pray this prayer. Oh, well, then I'll just pray it out loud. Okay. So it's a prayer uh, to Saints Louis and Zélie. Father in heaven, you called Saints Louis and Zélie Martin to holiness through their married life. You gave them as mother and father to Saint Therese of Lisieux. Through their intercession, we ask you to bless the married couples of our diocese and those who are preparing for marriage, and all of us here present, all of us connected virtually. Bless our children and our grandchildren. Guide us by your Holy Spirit to bear witness in our lives to the beauty of the sacrament of marriage. Guide us as citizens to make the kind of decisions that will support family life, protect marriage, and respect the dignity of children. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's uh, just dive right into it. Uh, If you want to open your book, it's uh, to page eight in the handout. Although I want to do a little bit before we start looking at the letters. Um, You asked the question about readings. The readings will basically be those that you have in the book here. Uh, There's 60 pages of them. I doubt we're going to get through them. Um, So my suggestion is that for the time of reading that you go back over what we have covered, just read it, pray through it uh, yourselves. And as you do that, you'll find that there'll be a lot to share in in the sharing times. And then uh, if you complete that and there's still reading time, just go ahead through the letters. Um, That will prepare those that will get through and complete those that we won't. So we are looking at the Martin family and call this a call to holiness. All of this takes place in this northwestern corner of France, which is the section of Normandy that we know from D-Day and so forth. Therese, um, her mother only made one trip, as far as I know, one trip down to Lourdes and otherwise lived her whole life there. Her husband was a traveler, as we'll see, and Therese lived her whole life there as well, except for that one pilgrimage to Rome. And that's just blowing up um, Normandy to see some of the places. The letters that we'll begin looking at are written from down here in Alençon, which is where Zélie and Louis, as we'll see, uh, lived, met, married, and uh, raised their family. The other place, obviously, that comes into the story is Lisieux, as we'll see, and there's a, it's a distance of about 60 miles. 
And by train at the time, it took four hours to do it. Be interesting to know why that, uh, why that was. This uh, city of Caen also comes into the story. And if you recall Therese talking about experiencing the ocean, you know, the sea and the impact that it had on her, that takes place up here. The, their cousins, uh, their aunt and uncle and their cousins would rent a place every summer up on the shore there, Trouville. And um, that's where the, uh, their cousins, Therese among them, would join them in the summer. That's where she saw the sea. Bayou is the seat of the diocese. That's where the bishop uh, resided. That also comes into Therese's story. Le Havre will come into the story later on as well. So that's the geographical setting where all of this takes place. These are just some images of Alençon in the uh, 19th century when the family lived there. It was a small city of about 16,000 people. Just other shots of it. Uh, to go back to it, you can see the, the uh, cathedral here. That's where Louis and Zélie were married. Just a shot outside of the, of the city. So let's look at the two of them. So th this, what I want to do is cover what precedes the first of the letters. Uh, it's the first letter of Zélie that we have. So this will be rapidly the story up to that moment. She's 32 at that moment. Louis, her husband. Here's another shot of him. And this was a circle of friends. You can see the priest here in the center. It was a Catholic circle. Uh, when they were in Alençon, Louis was uh, very actively engaged in settings like this, Nocturnal Adoration Society, and he had a circle of friends there. Things would change when they later moved to Lisieux. And this is a picture of him, probably about 65 uh, at this time. You can see why they called him the, the patriarch. Even early on in his 50s, he already had that sort of, his hair had turned white. He had that sort of elderly. And um, what's the right word for it? Patriarch is a good word. You know, like in the Old Testament, a venerable quality about him that people noticed. So to go over his life, these are the years of his life, 1823, 1894. So he dies three years before Therese dies, lives to be 71. He is born in Bordeaux, which is in the southwestern uh, coast of France, and born into a deeply religious family. There's never a period in Louis' life when he wanders from the faith. It's always so much so that um, people were impressed, even at an early age, uh, by this. His father was a soldier, and so this was like a military, think of a military family today that's always moving, you know, as they're sent to different places. So this is uh, something that's ingrained in Louis, um, constant travel, uh, different places. And there's a lot of travel and geography in his life. He, was, he would be a traveler through all of his life, many pilgrimages and uh, various trips. He was a fisherman. That was his favorite sport. And when his wife got ill later on, uh, one of the striking signs of how deeply this affected him was, and she notes this in a letter, he, he stopped fishing. You know, it was, uh, and Therese, if you've read the story of a soul, you know how she talks about uh, going with him on those fishing trips and how she loved them. Uh, just a side note on this, what he would do is the, with the fish that he caught, I think we, I have it on here. Yeah, those, his fishing implements are conserved. And he would, um, he would bring the fish back to convents of contemplative sisters 
who loved it because otherwise they would never get fish in, in their diet. And he did this at Alençon and later when his daughters entered the Carmel in Lisieux, he would do this as well. And you, have, you see this in a lot of the letters, how grateful they are to him for that. Good swimmer. Uh, he had a very good voice. You may also recall in the story of a soul how Therese says she loved to hear him sing in the years that they were growing up in uh, Lisieux. And um, he was a good imitator. Therese would be this too. Uh, you have these notes that tell us that um, when the sisters would gather for their uh, twice a day after the main two meals, they would gather. This is in the Carmel now. And they would gather for recreation. That's when they broke silence. They could talk freely. They're probably doing some domestic chores or sewing or something. So they're doing this. And uh, Therese would do imitations. And the one they mentioned is of the guide they had on that trip to Rome. And they would split their sides laughing. It was never done with any malice or never in any way that would hurt anyone. So much so that they would say that uh, when she, for some reason, would not be there, oh, we're not going to laugh today. But she, she imitates, uh, she, she follows her father in this. He had that uh, ability as well. Again, never used in any hard uh, or uh, belittling way. Enjoyed billiards, walking in woods, visiting people. And as I say, he was a traveler through all of his life. You read the letters, he's on a pilgrimage to Chartres or to Lourdes uh, and so forth. In his 20s, he attempts to become a monk. And the attempt is made at the monastery of the, Grand, the great Saint, uh, Saint um, Bernard which the monks built there as a resource for travelers as they were going over these Alps from uh, Switzerland into Italy. And at one point in one of his trips, he does visit this monastery and he's very struck by it. And the following year he returns and he asks permission to enter. Now you can see a few things about Louis in this. He was the traveler and this would be a place to be a resource for travelers. And it also would allow solitude, which was something that he loved throughout his life. He, he always had, first in Alençon and later in Lisieux, he always had a place where he could be alone, just to pray, to write, and to read. So you can see how it would attract this young man, uh, whose faith is already so deeply a part of his life. But the problem is that he doesn't has no knowledge of Latin. And to become a priest, obviously, you need that in, in these days. And so he returns back to Alençon, and first with a priest and later with a layman. And the biographers tell us that he took 120 lessons. He really tried. Uh, but he was never able to learn Latin. And that was uh, really the end of the, uh, the thought of becoming a priest. At that point, he, he sets that aside. And he begins to take training in... Um, in uh, learning how to make clocks and watches and becomes very skilled in this. We still have some clocks that he made. They're very intricate things. Uh, you might have them on your mantelpiece at home or those, those sorts of things. And he spends about three years, over three years actually, in different cities, including three years in Paris. He, his grandmother is living there. He lives with her and he spends three years there learning um, how to make clocks and watches. At age 33, his wandering years, to, to a certain extent, end, although he never stopped traveling, as I say, and he sets up a business in Alençon. We'll see the photo in a minute. What had happened was that his, he went to Alençon because his parents were living there now, 
and they had set up a jewelry business. And so he goes to join them and be with them. And he adds clock making and watches to their jewelry business. And so he gets settled in Alençon, if you can see it clearly enough. This was the, the business and over here, Orologerie, which is uh, watchmaking and clocks and bijouterie, which is uh, jewelry. And then the family lived on the floor above. There was actually another floor above that. This is where most of their children would be born. His watchmaking implements uh, have been preserved. He purchases a small property, which they called pavilion because of the uh, shape of the building. It's uh, still a place where um, pilgrims can visit. You can see this two-story sort of tower hexagonal building. And in the end, it has a bit of a garden around it. Therese also writes about this, how they love to go there and pick berries and just be with their father there. And in the upper story of this was where he had his his desk, his quiet place where he could read and pray. At age 35, he meets Zeli, uh, and they get married. Uh, what happens there is that, um, you know, like every mother, I suppose, uh, he's getting into his 30s, he's not married, and culturally, this is much older. Marriages would happen much young, at a much younger age. And his mother is worried. She wants to see her son married. And uh, she is taking a lace-making course, uh, which Alençon is famous for, actually, very widely. Um, and Zeli would become very skilled at that. And uh, she's taking a course where they are trained to make this lace. And Zeli, at the same time, is also taking that course. And Louis's mother is very struck by uh, this young woman who is herself in her later 20s. And the thought is just there. This would make a good, you know, a good um, a wife for my, for my son. They do meet. And, of course, they get married. We'll come right back to that. So this is where Louis is in this year, 1863, in which we'll read the first of the letters that we'll turn to uh, very shortly. So he and Zeli have been married for six years. He's 40 years old. And at this point, they have two daughters, the two oldest, Marie and Pauline, Louis's parents. One of the things that was very hard for Louis, I don't want to anticipate the story too much, but when they needed to move to Lisieux after the death of Zeli, because the children needed a mother, and uh, Zeli's sister-in-law had offered to be that, and Zeli very much wanted that. One of the hard things for Louis, in addition to leaving the places that he loved, the friends and everything else, was that he was no longer going to be close to his mother. He would be able to visit her from time to time, but he had to give up a lot when uh, his father had already died by that time. This is uh, Zélie Guerin at age 26. The arm around her is her younger brother, Isidore. We'll see the whole photo at some point. This is another photo of Zélie taken later. The, uh, the baby that she's holding was later painted in by Therese's sister, Céline, who was the best artist of the Martin girls. So that's not part of the original photo. So that's a little bit uh, older than that age 26 that we've seen. 
And this is the last photo that we have of Zeli. It's probably fairly close uh, the last years of her life. So she'd be about maybe 44 or something like that at this point. She lives 46 years, dies in 1877, which is four years after the birth of Therese. She is born in a small town near Alençon, so that's where she'll live her whole life. She is one of three children. She has an older sister, Marie-Louise, whom they called Elise, who was sort of the, um, the wisdom figure in the family. Zélie uh, always looked up to her, depended on her advice. They, she was, they were very close. And then a younger brother, Isidore, who was 10 years younger than Zélie. Uh, She'll become almost a kind of maternal figure for him after the death of their mother. Her childhood, and I think we'll see the letter as we go through this, was not happy. Um, her mother was a very faith-filled mother in terms of living her faith, but was very severe, especially with Zélie. And Zélie will say that her mother never understood her. And in one of the letters, she says the following, my childhood and youth were as sad as a winding sheet, which is the sheet that, with which you prepare a body for burial. And this would have a major impact on her. We'll see a few things as we go forward. So she too, like Louis, is from a very faith-filled family. So that is strong throughout all of her life. In her life too, there's never a time when she at all wanders away from um, the faith and God at the center. She did her schooling with uh, sisters who would take in students in Alençon, and she was a good student. Her Actually, Zélie was a very, she, she, well, we'll see it. She had a lot going. Um, uh, let's see. Her older sister, Elise, leaves and be, joins the Visitation Monastery in Le Mans. And this will be another key place in the life of the family because of her presence there. Some of Celie's children will do their studies at this boarding school run by the Visitation Sisters. And she will always have a deep love for the Visitation uh, community founded by St. Francis de Sales and St. Jean, Jean, Jean de Chantal. Like Louis, Zélie also sought the consecrated life. Uh, her sister enters the visitation. Zélie would all through all of her life have a kind of longing and love for the religious life where you're simply given to God. And she seeks entrance with uh, St. Vincent de Paul's Daughters of Charity at a hospital where they serve the ill, which also says a lot about her, you know, where her, her desire to serve went. And the superior does not accept her. Thank God for that superior. You know, um, and she tells Zélie, no, you're not called to this. You're called to marriage. And uh, from that point on, Zélie will move toward marriage. But she always would retain that sense of love for the, um, for the religious life. So she has made that attempt. She's 20 years old. She has not been allowed to enter the religious life. She is turning toward marriage. Now, a key thing in those days for a woman in terms of her prospects for marriage was the dowry. And depending on whether the, the, the woman had the dowry and to what extent she had it, her prospects of marriage were more restricted or more open. 
what happens is that uh, Zeli's parents start a, um, a cafe in Alençon, and this is the will eventually become the house where the family will move, and Therese will be born in this house. But at this point, they, they attempt to set up a cafe, but her mother alienated the customers because she was, again, abrasive in various ways, and so the business failed. And at this point, the only income the family has is the pension of her husband, who also had been a soldier and fought in Napoleon's battles uh, a few decades earlier. And it's, it's minimal, and the family really is struggling to, just to, to get along. And Zaylee realizes that if she wants to have a dowry at all, which is equivalent to saying if she's going to have any prospects for marriage, it depends on her. No one else is going to help her. As I say, these things will be deeply ingrained in Louise, and you'll see them uh, as her life goes forward. So what she does is that she decides to learn the art of making this pont d'Alençon, pont stitching. Um, it's, it's this very famous uh, Alençon lace, which became widely sought after. Um, So she attends this school that I mentioned earlier, and this is where Louise's mother first sees her. She goes through the training to um, be able to do this professionally and start a business, which she does. She begins a business producing this uh, Alençon lace before her sister enters the convent. Her sister helps her, and uh, she's very good at it. Uh, she had a very good business sense, and she's very successful. But she's learning the lesson that you can't depend on someone else to be there. You have to make things happen. This is an example of the lace uh, made by Zaylee, and just blow it up so we can see it a little better there. You can see why people really treasured it. If you look, for example, um, at paintings of uh, uh, the queen, uh, Marie Antoinette, just notice the lace, it would be this kind of lace. So wealthy people, those who could afford it because it was very expensive, uh, would, would dress this way. These are some of the lace workers, and not Zaylee's, it's just a, a photo of the time. You can see them holding the lace there. And Zaylee at various points had up to 30 women working for her doing this. Now, they would not be full time, they would be wives, mothers, uh, younger women, but they would do this to supplement their income. And she would give them the, the basic work. And then when it came back, she would do the fanciest work herself. And because she was so good at it, uh, the business really prospered. Some of her scissors, pins, and things. And just to give a feel for this, to make one square centimeter of that lace took seven hours. And to make a piece the size of a postage stamp would take a day. And in one of the letters, Zaylee uh, says, I have 100 meters of lace to make. You know, she had that so many um, uh, orders. So you can see why she needed the help of the others and um, how much people appreciated. Like any business, there were times of fewer clients and more. And you see that as you go through the letters, there are times of great anxiety as it doesn't look like uh, they're going to have the income they need and so forth. So they have a double income at this point. Uh, well, that's some... Um, I'm uh, preceding myself here. So in her 20s now, this is what Zaylee is doing from the home. She's running this business and it's going well. But years are passing for her as well. 
Louis' mother, as I mentioned, thinks of Zélie as a possible wife for his son. And then you have this moment when she sees him on this bridge. Uh, the Alençon is built at the conjunction of two different rivers, the Sarth uh, River here. Louis is walking across this bridge and uh, Zélie is walking and she sees him. That's the first time that she sees him. Now, in some of the accounts, I don't see this anywhere in Zélie's letters, but in some of the accounts, they will tell you that she hears a voice in her heart saying, this is he whom I have prepared for her. In any case, that's their first meeting. Shortly after that, they are introduced, and three months later, they're married. At, in a midnight ceremony, which was the custom at the time in that cathedral that I mentioned. They had nine children, and in her one of her letters, I think this is to her daughter, Pauline, I am fond of children unto folly. It is such sweet work to take care of babies. We lived only for them, for their children. They were, she and Louis, they were all our happiness, and outside of them we desired no other. As I mentioned, Louis loved to travel. Zélie didn't. Uh, there's very little travel in her life. She was in her place where she wanted to be when she was in the home, taking care of the children, running her business. Her family, her marriage, that was everything. Her children were everything for her. So she is a wife, a mother, and a very competent businesswoman. And later, uh, many years later, Pauline would describe the following qualities in her mother. Abnegation, which is a deep thing. You know, the more you get to know Zélie, the more you learn about Therese. There's so many traits. As I was going through this, so many times I would say, that's it in, in Therese, the same thing. Um, Other-centered, uh, her daughter Celine describes watching their mother at breakfast, for example, just making sure that all the children, husband had everything they needed and hardly taking anything herself. It was just the way, uh, just the way that she was throughout all of her life. She was a woman of courage. She went through some very hard things. Pretty much any hard thing a family can go through, she went through. And she never gave up. Great energy, almost to a fault. Maybe she, I, sometimes you say, like her husband and her brother would say to her, do less. She never did. And I think some of that you see in that drive from the early on, that uh, if you don't make things happen, they're not going to happen. No one's going to do it for you. Part of what drove her to have the business, she had no interest in amassing money, really. But the reason why she wanted that business was because she had eventually five daughters, and she wanted to make sure that none of them ever had to go through what she went through when their time for marriage came, that the dowry would be there. And unless she made it happen, she was never sure it was going to happen. And so until actually right up to her death, she will continue with this because she wants to make sure that her children are provided for. A very sensitive heart, very warm, and uh, generous, as we'll see in many different ways. And then Pauline says, quote, always turned toward God. So the first letter that we'll turn to now, again, in 1863, gives us the time when she and Louis have been married for six years. She is 32 years old now, and she has her two daughters, who are, uh, the oldest is Marie, and then a year later, Pauline. That's the setting of the letters that we'll look at now. 
We'll return to Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher. The first letters that we have from Zelie are written to her brother Isidore, who, as I said, is 10 years younger. And she, after the, her older sister enters the visitation, Zelie assumes a kind of maternal role, although she's always a sister to her younger brother. So this is a January 1st letter. Now, keep in mind, these are the writings of a canonized saint. When we think of writings of the saints, we think of maybe St. Augustine's uh, Confessions, um, Thomas Aquinas' theological writings, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, and so on. These are equally the writings of a canonized saint. I wish you a happy new year and desire with all my heart that you do well in your studies. At this point, Isidore is in Paris, and he begins studies in Paris with the intention of becoming a doctor. After about two years of those studies, he switches to become a pharmacist, which will be his lifelong um, career. And so he spends these several years, he's um, in his early 20s at this point, and he's in the city exposed to all that the big city uh, exposes one to. And Zelie, as we'll see here, is concerned that he preserve himself from many of the temptations there. And desire with all my heart that you do well in your studies. I'm sure you'll succeed if you want to. This depends only on you. And you'll never go very long without her mentioning the Lord. God protects all who trust in him. Not a single person has ever been abandoned by him. When I think of God in whom I've put all my trust and in whose hands I've put the care of my whole life, and, and when I think of what God has done for me and my husband, I don't doubt his divine providence watches over his children with special care. My dear friend, which is a nice word to use for, of her brother, 
I'm not only concerned, but very concerned. Zaylee is very prone to worry. Um, she's a mother. She, she's a sister. There are real problems. And you'll see this in the letters. She's not only concerned, but very concerned. Uh, can you also see right from the start how other-centered the letter is? And you will see this in Zaylee. And you'll also see it in Therese in a remarkable way. I'm very concerned about you. Every day, my husband makes sad predictions. He knows Paris because Louis spent three years in Paris studying watchmaking. He knows what it's like to live in the... This is someone from a small country place now in the large city. He knows uh, what he's exposed to. And he tells me that you'll be up against temptations that you'll find hard to resist because you're not religious enough. He makes no bones about it. Uh, at this stage in his life, uh, Isidore was not all that close to his faith. His life was not centered on that. Later on, things would change. But at this point, um, not, not so much. He told me what temptations he had and the courage he needed to overcome his struggles. If you only knew what ordeals he went through, I beg you, my dear Isidore, do as he did. Pray, and you will not let yourself be carried away by the torrent. If you give in once, you're lost. On the path of evil, as well as that of goodness, the first step is the hardest. And after that first step, you'll be swept away by the current. So this is the older sister, almost uh, maternal here, uh, looking out for the welfare of her younger brother. Now look at the next sentence. If you want to give me a New Year's gift, or if you stop right there, you would expect her to say, this is something that I would welcome, or this is something that would be useful, or I'd be grateful if you could. But look what the New Year's gift that she wants him to give her. If you want to give me a New Year's gift and would agree to this one request I'm asking of you, I'd be happier than if you sent me all of Paris. Here it is. You live very close to Notre Dame de Victoire. Now, this church would be uh, play a significant role in the life of the Martin family. Louis had come to love this church in the years that he'd spent in Paris uh, in clockmaking. Uh, if you remember in the story of a soul, Therese will go there when uh, she makes that pilgrimage to Rome and receives wonderful grace while she's there. And uh, Zélie is asking Isidore to also approach that church. He lives fairly close to it. Here it is. You live very close to Notre Dame de Victoire. Well, go there just once a day and say a Hail Mary to the Blessed Mother, which is well chosen. You know, if she asked him, for example, to say a whole rosary or something or go to daily mass, he wouldn't. But you can do this. You'll see that she'll protect you in a very special way and that she'll help, help you succeed in this world and give you eternal happiness. What I'm saying to you is not exaggerated piety and unfounded on my part, because she knows that he's going to be a little skeptical of all of this prayer and church and Mary and these kinds of things. I have reason to have trust in the Blessed Mother. I have received favors from, from her that only I know. You know well that life is not long. You can't read Therese or Zélie very long before running up against this, this very, very lively sense of the shortness of life in this world and the importance of eternity. Um, you have that uh, 
that scene where um, Therese describes in the story of a soul. When they got up to Lisieux and they had the home that they called Les Buissonnets, up on the upper floor, there were these dormers and kind of on the attic floor. And her father had created his space of quiet and to be alone up in one of these. And uh, from the window, because the house was on a, on a hill, we had this wide panorama that went off into the distance. And she describes him just looking out that window and saying softly over and over again, oh, la patrie, la patrie, the fatherland, the homeland, you know, just the longing for it. It's, it, it this is not just a truth of faith for uh, Zeli, Louis, and their daughters. This is very real. It's daily. Uh, and they long for that time when there'll be no more separation and they'll all be together again. For them, when they write about heaven, it is absolutely to be with the Lord forever. But never very far behind that is we'll all be together. Those who have died, those, you know, we're in the Carmel, we can't see each other, but we'll all be together there. And it's coming and it's not going to be long. And so you see it here in uh, Selie. You know well that life is not long. You and I will soon be at an end, and we'll be very grateful that we lived in a manner that doesn't make our last hour too bitter. So you know, all, of, all of these pious things that my sister is saying to me, she can see him reading this. Now, if you have an unkind heart, you'll laugh at me. But if you're kind-hearted, you'll say, I'm right. And then this is kind of nice. When you write to me, don't mention what I said regarding Louis's thoughts about your situation because he wouldn't like it. Don't, don't, don't want him to know that I told you that he said that. And what, look at what she says about Louis now. I'm always so happy with him. This is six years into their marriage. He makes my life very pleasant. What a holy man my husband is. I wish the same for all women. That's my wish for them for the new year. And this next sentence is the writings of a canonized saint. Tuesday, I'll send you some potted goose and jars of jam. My little girls, so that's Marie and Pauline, are very cute. Your goddaughter, because Isidore was the godfather of Marie. Your goddaughter doesn't want to walk by herself anymore. Uh, I'm sorry, Pauline, but that's Pauline. He was the goddaughter of Pauline. Your goddaughter doesn't want to walk by herself anymore. She fell and became so fearful that nothing in the world can persuade her to take a step without support. She goes for a walk along the chairs and the furniture. You can't imagine how good and affectionate she is. She hugs us in every minute without our telling her to do so. And she sends kisses to Jesus. She doesn't talk, but she understands everything. This is a mother. In a word, she's an ideal child. A, a closeness would develop between Zelie and Pauline that was unique. Um, Pauline would have been about 15 or so when her mother died, 16 maybe. And in the last years, uh, Zelie writes to her because Pauline is still at the boarding school with the visitation sisters. But at this point, the relationship changes. Pauline really becomes kind of like a confidant for her. She shares things with Pauline that she doesn't share with the others in the same way. Maybe because Pauline is the only one she's writing to at this point. The other children are all at home. But uh, regardless of that, she writes uh, in a special way. And she'll say that. I know that you understand and so forth. All right, this next letter is four months later. And it's again to her brother Isidore. 
Marie is always the same. She's doing very well and speaks to us of her uncle in Paris. So that's Isidore. Little Pauline walks very well now. So four months later, she's walking. And she almost never falls. She's very cute and is beginning to talk well. It's such sweet. What does she say? It's such so sweet to take care of, to raise babies, to raise children. She just loves this. And you can see where her heart is. She doesn't need to travel. She has everything she, she wants right there. She's very cute and is beginning to talk well. Her health is delicate, but she's coming along little by little. She knows everything or almost everything by its name. Right now, she's sitting next to me on the desk and doesn't want to leave me alone. So what I'm writing is all crooked. Believe me, she already loves to dress up. When we tell her that we're going out, she runs quickly to the closet where her most beautiful dress is and extends her little face saying, wash me. I find all this marvelous as if it weren't perfectly natural. So she's, you know, uh, as a mother, she just loves all of it. I know it's all natural, but I love it. You know, it's, it's my daughter. This next letter is special because it's the only letter we have of Louis to his wife. Of his wife, we have conserved, it's about 218 letters. Louis, we have 16, 18 letters. Uh, he didn't write many letters. And most of those we have are just short letters when he was on a trip you know, back to, uh, to the family. So this is the only letter we have of Louis to Zélie. And the reason why he's writing to her, the reason why he's not home is because as her lace business, lace making business expands, and she just can't manage raising their children and this expanding um, business. So Louis, it will gradually uh, take over more and more of a role as her helper. So he will make the trips for her to go to Paris, contact the, the various companies who are asking for lace, uh, see to the orders for the um, materials that she needs and so forth. And that's the background to this letter. He's in Paris on one of these trips for her lace making business. And he writes back to her. She's just written to him. My dear friend, look at that, what he calls her. And it was very real. I won't be able to arrive until Monday. It seems like a long time to me and I'm longing to be with you. Now just imagine Zalia receiving that letter and knowing how real that is. Needless to say, your letter made me very happy. It's also interesting that Louis doesn't begin by saying the business is going well and all the rest of that. The, where he begins is uh, from the heart to his wife's heart. Needless to say, your letter made me very happy, except that, and here you get it, except that I see you've tired yourself out far too much. Uh, which he would do, and he's concerned about it. So I strongly recommend, this is the gentle Louis. Uh, so I strongly recommend calm and moderation above all in your work. Uh, you'll hear the same thing from Isidore. You'll also hear it from her older sister, Elise. Don't do so much. But there was that drive in her that, that never uh, let her simply sit back, you know. I have some orders from the Compagnie Lyonnaise. Once again, don't worry so much. So she's obviously worrying, are we going to get enough business? Yes, we've got orders here. Just stop worrying about that. And she was a worrier, as I say. You'll see this throughout the letters. 
we'll manage with God's help to build a good little company. So he still has his watchmaking and the jewelry business. He's still doing that. And her business is um, growing, you know, at this point. Later on, it will get to the point in which it grows so much that Louis would always do this throughout his life, sells his own business to a nephew and full-time now begins to help his wife in her business. I had the happiness of receiving communion at Notre Dame de Victoire, again, that special church uh, for them, which is like a little heaven on earth. I also lit a candle for the intention of our entire family. I kiss you with all my heart while waiting for the happiness of being with you again. I hope that Marie and Pauline are being very good. And I'm going to be too analytical here, but look at the three ways he describes himself to his wife your husband, your true friend, and the one who loves you for life, Louis Martin. The next letter is one month later. And again, these early letters that we have are all to Isidore. And he has just gotten his degree. You can't imagine the joy I felt when I received your telegram. I cried from happiness for the first time in my life. Now, notice two things about that. Can you see how completely other-centered this is? What, what causes her to cry for happiness? Uh, she's just thrilled that her brother did it. He, he got his degree. Again, it's all centered on the other. And the second thing that's striking is here is a 32-year-old woman saying, I cried for happiness for the first time in my life. I've never cried for happiness before. You know, that's that youth and childhood that were as sad as the winding sheet that she describes earlier. You know, I contributed a little to your success because I asked the poor Claire's in Alençon, and uh, this poor Claire convent would be also central to the life of the family. Uh, Zaylee would go frequently there to pray. She became a third order Franciscan. Uh, later on, one of the daughters would attempt to enter that community that had another uh, important place uh, in the life of, in Zaylee's life, in the family's life. See, uh, because I asked, yeah, that is kind of nice, isn't it? You know, I did something too here. I asked the poor Claire's in Alençon to pray for you Wednesday and Thursday at 10 in the morning, thinking that was the time of your exam, exams. Then I received communion for you. If you read these letters again, you'll see this return over and over again. When one member of the family wants to do the best thing that he or she can do for the other, what they do is to receive communion for the other because in their faith-filled perspective, that's the richest gift you can ever give. It's giving Jesus to the other. So I receive communion for you. It's like you receive communion. I give my communion to you. I received communion for you. And then, as a sister, I hope you're a little appreciative of for all I've done. <clears throat> Louis was very happy as well. In your honor, we bought a goose, which would have been a delicacy. We bought a goose on Saturday and celebrated on Sunday. We were all very sorry that you weren't here to share in the feast and have some fun with us. Now, the reason why we have St. Therese of Lisieux is that 
because you can see the family's roots were all in Alençon, the 60 miles away. What happens is that uh, Isidore, when he completes his studies, instead of returning to Alençon as uh, Celie expected, you know, so that they would be close, he uh, was a pharmacist now, he needed to find a pharmacy and there was a pharmacy for sale in Lisieux and the central square uh, of the town run by um, uh, um, Monsieur Fournay. And he buys this pharmacy and establishes himself there and eventually marries the daughter of uh, uh, this Monsieur Fournay, which is how, Eliz uh, how Zélie gets to have her sister-in-law, Céline. But it's a deep sorrow for Zélie and she loves her brother so deeply and they're not gonna be together. And remember that travel in those days you know, four hours to go 60 miles by train, probably a number of stops along the way, who knows what. So basically what it means is that she's not going to see him very often. And point of fact, that's what, what happens. You do have visits from time to time, uh, either way from one family to the others, but uh, they will never be together in the same place because of that. And that's how the family comes to Lisieux and eventually Therese and she is St. Therese of Lisieux. Um, and then look at this. I don't have enough time to write any longer. Now think of Celie. She's got at this point, these two young daughters. Uh, she's got this growing lace making business. Her days are as packed as they can possibly be. And she sits up in the late evening, sometimes into the late hours, writing these letters. There's one of them in which she ends and she says, it's 1030. I started writing at 630. And these are after these very busy days. That's where these letters come from. But she writes them because it's like us sending an email or a text or a phone call you know, or Zoom now uh, to family members. Just You can see it's all family things. It's just keeping them in, in abreast of things. And she loves doing it. And you'll see in these letters when they, when they write them, they speak of these letters as spending time with that person. You know, and that's, that's it's spending time with her brother Isidore, in this case, sharing in his joy. I don't have enough time to write any longer. And besides, the more I say to you, the more you'll tease me about my style. So her French, I'm certain of it. And then she reminds him, I did, however, however, win first prize in style in the past. Out of 11 compositions, I won first prize 10 times. And then I was in the first division and in the upper class. She was a good student. So judge the ability of the others. That's kind of you know, flipping it the other way. If I got these kind of prizes, you know, what about the others? Okay. Let's go a little bit longer here if we can. So this is a year and a half later now. We're in 1865. She's eight years married. And she's writing again to her brother, Isidore. You must be very mad at me for taking, for having taken so long to respond to your letter, which, however, amused us a lot. Louis laughed with all his heart at your comparison of Father Loth. Now, we don't have any more details. Obviously, it seems that he found something amusing or funny about this priest, and he shares it. As for me, I didn't laugh. I must be getting old. He's 34. And I didn't find it amusing. Nevertheless, I comfort myself by thinking that you're not a prophet, whatever. whatever, whatever. This is a sister. It's a sister, older sister. Um, and now on to her children. At this point, point she has four daughters. Uh, Leonie, her third, has been born, and Helene, her fourth. 
Now let's speak of something else. And you, uh, what happens is because uh, Isidore has done studies in medicine and in pharmacy, whenever medical issues come up, uh, uh, Zeli will write to him and ask his advice on how to handle them. For the last two months, my little Leonie, who is uh, one year and eight months at this point and has very uh, poor health, the first two daughters, there's no real struggle this way in their early years, but with Leonie, things change. My little Leonie has a kind of uh, purulent ex eczema, which means that it's not only something itchy, but it actually, um, there's sores and it festers and there's discharge. And throughout all of her life, whenever Leonie would go through times of stress, this eczema would reappear. And sometimes she says from head to toe, um, and she, uh, enrage, she says in French, it's like a raging um, eczema. And this is appearing now. She's 18 months and this is serious. Uh, on her entire body and the illness is getting worse every day. I'm very upset. So this is Zaylee. And the doctor doesn't know how to treat it. No medicine was where it was at the time, but it wasn't very often that doctors were really actually of real help to Zaylee. At one point, one time, yes. But in general, not so much. And the doctor didn't know how to treat it. He told me to give her some antiscorbutic syrup, which I did, but the ravages of the illness didn't lessen. It seems that these kind of illnesses are almost incurable, at least in Leonie's case, it was so. So she says, please give me your advice and tell me what I should do. Perhaps you know some famous specialists, you've been in Paris, you've been in medical circles, who will be able to give you some effective remedies. You wouldn't believe how much I suffer seeing my poor little daughter in this state. I've just written to our sister Elise, asking that she say a novena. So this is in religion. Her name is Sister Marie Docite, in English, Sister Mary Dorothy. Um, I've just written to our sister Elise, asking that she say a novena for her. And okay, let's read the next. I'm not asking you for your prayers. I don't have enough confidence in you. Um, that novena turned out to be a turning point in um, Leonie's life because here is her young daughter and whose life is actually uh, in peril here in this situation and the doctors are helpless and it continues to get worse. And so as she'll so often do, she turns to her older sister who was considered the wisdom figure, almost sort of the saint in the family. And she asks her to make this novena for Leonie, which she does. And she makes it to um, the blessed Margaret Mary Alacoque. Later, she's canonized, and we know her as a saint. She was blessed at the time, and she was a visitation sister, so very much uh, at the heart of this religious family. And uh, her sister, Elise, does make this novena, and Leonie overcomes this illness. And in Zelie's mind, and later throughout her life in Leonie's mind, she owed her life to the prayers of, of her, her aunt, to whom she became very close later on. And now the fourth daughter, who is very young at this point, and something new now comes into this. Last Tuesday, I went to see my little Helene. I left alone at seven o'clock in the morning through the rain and wind that took me there and brought me back home. Imagine how tired I was and so on. Now what's behind this is the following. So um, yeah. this uh, semaye is where this 
woman who is nursing uh, Helene lives. And the reason why, and this is her home, and this is the only photo that we have of her. So she was, uh, they had a farm, they farmed it. Um, we owe her a lot because she saved, amongst other things, she saved Therese's life. Without this woman, Therese would have never lived. Um, and this is the, the place to which uh, Zelie is walking. Uh, we'll just conclude with this. The reason why uh, Helene is not, Helene, whenever anybody writes about her, they all say she was ravishing. Everybody loved her. There was a kind of goodness about this young girl that just won everybody to her. But at this point, uh, she's uh, very, uh, very early on. And Zelie is, for the first time, not able to nurse her own child. She was able to nurse the first three. What's happening is that we're getting the first signs of what will become the breast cancer that will take her life. And she'll describe this. Um, when she was still young at home, at a certain point, she fell against uh, the corner of the table and it hit her breast. And it, whatever that caused didn't pass or didn't pass quickly. And she always wondered whether that might have been the origin you know, of what happens. But at this point, Zelie is no longer able to nurse her own child. And many struggles are going to come from this. So she does uh, what anyone would do in this case. And she looks for a woman of trust who will nurse the baby for her through her, her first years. And what uh, Rose does, and Rose is uh, a woman of such trust, not all of these um, People who accepted this were of trust and great sorrow would come of this later on in the family's life. But this woman was a woman of, of goodness and, and trustworthy. And, but she has her own children, so she can't come spend, uh, live with the family or be there uh, as constantly as she needs. So the only way this can happen is for Zelie to give her her daughter, Helene. She takes the daughter home and she raises her together with her other children and nurses her for the time that she needs that. So that's why Zelie is walking. And it's, it's about six miles. And the only way to get there is to walk. So every time she's going to visit her daughter, it means 12 miles uh, walking. And she says, in this case, through the rain and the wind, that she says actually kind of almost took me there. So that um, we can stay with it for just a minute or two longer. Why don't we complete this? What did I do with it? So last Tuesday, I went to see my little Helene. I was alone at, I was, I left alone at seven o'clock in the morning through the wind and rain that took me there and brought me back home. Imagine how tired I was as I walked along the road. But what kept me going was the thought that I would soon hold in my arms the object of my love. There's no prettier jewel than little Helene. She's ravishing. Um, what else can I tell you as she's uh, writing to her brother? I don't know what else to tell you. If you saw, however, the letter I wrote to my sister in Le Mans, that's Elise in the visitation, you'd be jealous. It was five pages long. So I wrote a long one to her, but I don't have as much to say to you. Um, but I tell her things I don't tell you. We talk to each other about a mysterious, angelic world, and to you, I must speak of earthly things. Okay. All right, we'll, we'll stop there and uh, we'll pick this up. So my suggestion is if you have quiet time and uh, you want to pursue this, go back over the letters that we've uh, read 
Maybe you can pray with them to see what your thoughts are. And if you have time and want to, no need to, but if you have time and want to go forward uh, as, as much as you'd like uh, with these. Okay, that will either prepare, as I say, what will come or just be useful in itself. You've been listening to the podcast, which contains the audio taken from the Discerning Hearts Retreat, Hope in Difficult Times, with St. Therese and her family, with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this audio, or to view the video taken at the retreat, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family, with Father Timothy Gallagher.